0: Thank you for joining me on another episode of New Books and Poetry. I am your host, John Ebersole, and I am delighted to be joined by Kenneth Goldsmith. Kenneth, welcome. Hi, John. How's it going? It's going okay. Excellent. So before we get into um, seven American deaths and disasters, I was hoping we could kind of roll back the clock a little and find out a little about you. Where were you born and raised?
1: Well, I was born and raised uh on long island really what yeah. was that what was that childhood all about uh, i was I was bored out of my mind and <laughs> uh and ended up uh, uh ingesting massive amounts of drugs to alleviate the boredom.
0: I was going to ask you when you said boredom out of your mind i was uh I was born and raised uh right outside of orlando, and my friends and i uh we also participated in such recreational behavior, and some of us moved away, and some of us didn't. But when we get back twenty or thirty years later, we're like, "Why did we do so many drugs?" You know, <laughs> and we were like, "There was absolutely nothing to do." It was. I don't. I
1: don't regret it for a minute. It was great. It, yeah. it, it changed the way I saw the world. Yeah. So, did you have any brothers or sisters? Uh, I had just have a. St- just have a sister. Uh-huh. Is she older. Uh younger sister. Uh-huh. uh she she's married to a stockbroker and lives in Westchester. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. But uh, you know, it's uh I always wanted to uh, be in the the City, so which was only twenty minutes away. Uh so I ended up going to school here uh for a year at NYU. Uh-huh. Uh then I took a year at Parsons, uh at and another art school here in the city and uh, then I went away for four years to the Rhode Island School of Design, where I got a BFA in sculpture in 1984, and and then I was back in New York. So really, of my 52 years on the planet, I've lived <laughs> 48 of them within 20 minutes of where I'm sitting right now.
0: Yeah, and uh, do you still have family in Long Island? Uh, I do. My, my parents are still there. Oh, that's excellent. And uh why did they uh what what would they kind of do for a living did you kind of catapult away from what like what do you think drew you into the arts was it
1: oh it was boredom yeah you know really no I, i i was so bored growing up that uh you know anything that that led to a different type of consciousness i was got very interested in and uh you know drugs were fine for a little while but then Um, I, you know, when, when I was in NYU, I took a drawing class and that blew my mind wide open. And I Uh thought, wow, here's a way to do, uh, to change consciousness without drugs. And so I, I just became devoted to, uh, art, uh, as a way of, of seeing the world very differently. And I've never strayed from that. I never went back to drugs. Once I found art,
0: I was going to say, you didn't fall in any sort of addicting patterns or anything like that with drugs.
1: No, I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in the kind of uh opening the mind and, definitely uh you know and and it did that for a little bit, but art i think blew it open much more so i I never looked back
0: yeah, why did you uh stay at n y u for such a short period
1: uh because i found art and I decided I wanted to devote my life to uh, being an artist. So uh, after NYU, I I applied to art school at Parsons and followed a teacher then the next year up to Rhode Island School of Design. And, you know, I just went to art school. So I've just only got a BFA in sculpture. Uh, I have no advanced degrees. Uh, I have no degree in poetry or or anything like that.
0: Right. What did you originally go to NYU for?
1: Oh, I don't know, you know, just <laughs> liberal arts, Didn't, I had no idea what I wanted to do. That's cool, so
0: you, you're you in Rhode Island, which, did you enjoy yourself there, or were you pretty much just sequestered on the campus? Uh,
1: no, it was great to get out of New York, yeah. and uh, New York City was not a great place to go to college, but it was great to be on a college campus, and RISD is more fun than you can ever imagine, uh, and our art schools are the greatest places on the planet, and uh, yeah, I had a great time there. Yeah. So you brought
0: up uh, poetry and I'm sure like, you know, everyone like, I don't know, like, you know, the whole like kind of conceptual thing, blah, blah, blah. Everyone seems to polarize people. I don't know. But what uh, kinship exactly do you feel towards poetry that you want to kind of uh, like you identify with the term poetry and. And what what is your kinship with it exactly?
1: Well, I owe a lot to poetry. I'm, mm-hmm. I really love poetry because poetry would accept me, mm-hmm. um, who really you know doesn't know a whole lot about poetry. Um, you know, I I just fell into this. Uh, I was I was making uh, sculptures of books uh, in the art world and showing those and selling those and doing the things that you do in the art world. And I began to get more intrigued with the language that I was putting onto these books than actually the making of the books. Ah. Um, And just through a very long process, took about 15 years, I sort of moved away from being a maker into being a writer, only just because I got really interested in the the language that I was putting on the books. Um, And through a very serendipitous um, encounter with uh, a publisher uh, who was publishing somebody that he called The Language Poets, uh, who I'd never heard of. Uh, He had a gallery, and I was showing some work in his gallery, and he showed me all these books, and it was so close to the kind of uh, uses of language, material uses of language that I was interested in, that I began... uh, sort of seeking out these language poets, of course. Right. You know, I guess I'd, ne- I'd never heard of them before. So uh, that was during the summer in the early 90s, and I went back to New York, and I, I started going to their readings, which I, f- I found to be pretty good. And uh, the kind of work I was doing, they got interested in as well. Huh. Um, so I just found myself sort of hanging out with these language poets and, and, and you know, people that were using language in, a, in somewhat of an experimental way that didn't sort of seem to be, you know, about the his you know, about the sort of historical poetry, some other way of being with poetry. And, you know, through that group and through that scene, you know, I kind of came up you know, uh, and and that was that was kind of my introduction to poetry. So right. I, don't, I don't I don't really know that much about poetry. I, I don't really think that much about poetry, but I'm in it, uh, and I've been in it for a long time. And I'm I'm very grateful to the field for accepting uh, my my weird thing and saying, well, it's okay. What you do is poetry.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, how do you do you see any like kind of distinct differences between the more, you know, the artistic communities compared to the poetry communities, if that's what we can call that.
1: Well, the poets are great. I mean, if you're in poetry, you're in it for the right reason. If yeah. you're in art, you're usually in it for any any number of reasons, Which <laughs> have you know, to do with money, parties, beautiful women, yeah. fabulous architecture, you know, we have none of that in poetry. So, you know, the people that are in the conversation are in the conversation really for being in the conversation. And it's you know it's 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 very real and it's very dedicated and I'm I'm very appreciative toward the uh I think it, poetry has a great discourse going uh I think art has a very poor discourse going
0: is that right that is well, really interesting
1: art has a market discourse it's only got one discourse we don't have a market and all we have is discourse so <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a great, great place to be. I think
0: I totally agree. Um, you know, in the afterword of your new book, you say in hindsight, my archival impulse arose concurrent with the internet. Uh, when did you first kind of see the internet as clearly as you do? Like in the sense of like, Oh, this is, this is something absolutely different. Can you remember your first say online chat you've ever had?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, it's much more than that for me. Uh, once I decided to stop being uh, in a visual artist in the art world, I needed a way to make a living. Um, so I, I kind of fell back on computer skills, and I spent the 90s, the entire 90s, uh, working in dot-com.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Uh, I, was, I was a creative director at, a, at an early dot-com firm from 93 to 2004 when I ended up uh, going into academia after the, the, the dot com thing crashed. So, you know, I just I spent my whole nineties behind a computer watching this thing grow, building UberWeb web, um, as the thing was growing. So it's it's been very organic for me.
0: But that is really amazing. What were those years like, uh
1: you you know, know. They were, they were pleasant. Um, you know, it was a pleasant, pleasant environment to work in. I worked with really nice people. I worked at work that was not demanding. So I was able to write poetry and build Uber web on the company's dime. Yeah. Um, it was, it was great.
0: Where has, um, where do you think Uber Web is now and where do you see that going? I mean, is it pretty much got its solid identity? You're not looking to tinker with it anymore? It's just going to kind of keep accruing, aggregating, aggregating?
1: Well, I mean, I just think Uber Web uh, is a is a, um, a case study that copyright, in fact, does not exist. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been breaking copyright law for 18 years and nobody's ever really bothered me about it. Um And so it's a utopian and a political notion as much as it is about the artistic, you know, distribution of a very good avant-garde artistic uh, artifacts.
0: Yeah. The whole copyright thing, is this like uh, somewhat of a, I mean, is this somewhat of like a Western phenomenon in the sense of like, sometimes when I talk to international students and we could just be a, in a simple composition course. Uh, they they always seem, you know, these are Middle Eastern students, students from the Far East. Like they always seem bemused at how much the college cares about documentation. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that?
1: Well, I mean, no. I think it's 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 changing. You know, it, it really is changing. And you know, I mean, the resistance to this will soon drop and still soon go away. Right now, I I I really do. I feel that the uh, Copyright wars of the 21st century are the equivalent of the obscenity wars of the 20th right and we got over that We had our naked lunch battles and howl and you know all sorts of things like that and now nobody cares So, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time until nobody cares anymore <laughs> You
0: really think so
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. I think so. I see it changing. I see it changing, you know over the years um, So but we're still fighting those battles, but you know, I mean listen I, I get paid at an Ivy League University to teach plagiarism. I mean, how how enlightened is that?
0: I know. I uh and you sorta of know this, but I implemented um uncreative writing in my uh English one oh one composition course and these kids are freshmen and they're they're kind of wide eyed, perfecting their social lives, not really thinking about academics yet. And uh, so I was having them just do a lot of this exercises out of the book, uh, had them transcribe one minute of a John Stewart show on 9/11. Uh, I had them write a research paper in which they just appropriated the entire thing, and uh, I gotta say, and and it wasn't it was interesting to use those methods for non-artistic purposes in the sense that at the end of the day, the outcomes I was trying to teach them were look the institution when you leave my class is still going to expect you to write a traditional college paper, and I have to teach you that, but uh, using your methods to teach them that made them made them focus more on that materiality of like building a paper rather than writing a paper and that they seemed once exonerated of the burden of authorship. Uh, they were able to just focus on so many different things.
1: And, uh, Yeah, but I'd like to extend that ethos into poetry, which is 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 proving to be a lot more difficult. The students, of course, are much more open and and easier than the poets are at accepting these things. You know, they still, I mean, still most people can't accept these types of uh, construct ways of constructing as as being legitimate. Uh, artistic ways of, of 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 writing poetry, and uh, so you know, again, it's 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 there's still battles, and and yet most of the most of the world seems to want to accept it. But when we get to poetry, we have some some blowback still. Um, do you understand that blowback? Uh, well, I kind I I kind of do, but I I I I just wish it was a little bit more progressive. I mean, you know, every other Uh, our field of artistic endeavor seems to have uh, accepted this, and somehow literature is still stuck (laughs) stuck with it. We still have these plagiarism scandals in literature. You know, would you imagine anybody, you know, getting upset about this kind of stuff, you know, in the art world or the hip-hop world, I mean, or the, you know, gaming world or, I mean, anything. And yet somehow, and, you know, particularly poetry, I mean, it's just I can't understand... You know the thing that is is that it doesn't replace anything. It's right. you know it's not it's not either or. It's and. It's another way of working with language. We don't stop right. having these these original thoughts. We don't stop doing original <laughs> rethought. Uh, you know we we just have another tool in our toolbox. I
0: think that's the feeling though that poets get. They see I don't know why, but it's so personal to them <laughs> that the idea of suggesting that poetry can be done through appropriation. Yeah, you're right. It's not an either or; it's an and. And the reactions are as if like we're asking all other kinds of you know poetry to stop being written so we can all appropriate. <laughs> and it's certainly not that. And there's like
1: well, you know, I mean, I think you know, perhaps you know why better than I do. I mean, you're in touch. I mean, your 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 podcasts normally deal with authors that that you know some authors that have actually you know really rejected this way of uh, yes this way of writing and I, I've, I've met many of them and I, maybe you can tell me why it is.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, without going, I don't know, super, super deep into it, but uh, because I think people get down this rabbit hole of a for tat, So it's more like, what is it that they find threatening? Usually when somebody has a strong reaction against something, oftentimes it's, it reflects a deficit in that own person. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, except that
1: po- I, I've been I've been told by, you know, I've been shited publicly by people like C.K. Williams saying that I've, I'm actually single handedly destroying the genre of poetry <laughs> through, my, through my poetics. That's giving you, know? you a lot of power. <laughs> it's giving you a lot of credit. So yeah, yeah, exactly exactly right. I mean, really, you know, really? You know, I I mean I you know, I get I get this I get this often, you know, and and uh it, you know,
0: yeah. Yeah, well no, I think the poets and I don't know, like maybe like a CK Williams or something, that they're and it's can be, I think, said of your work and other artists like you that, you know, poetry comes from this wellspring of this kind of being finding one's life absolutely phenomenal in the sense that we're stuck in these stupid bodies. And yet we have these internal lives that are complete galaxies of emotions and sentiment. And that the poet kind of through that tension generates their own original work. Um, and that somehow at that is at the core of, of a human experience and that somehow, somehow conceptual art or at least, appropriating text is not seen as a result of that same tension, that same sentiment that life is terrifying and, and that we're, that we are more than just these reasonable, reasonable creatures or rational creatures that we're we're sentimental and we're weak and we're emotional and that, that traditional poetry kind of operates within that labyrinth of human, uh, human expression Where to appropriate, say whatever it might be, um, or to appropriate, say other lines of poems and just put them all, crunch them all together, is somehow not representative of that central tension of the of like the body's materiality and the fact that we have these very rich interior lives. But I, you know, and I think that's at first that hung me up on conceptualism in the writing, but when. I started to consider that, like, really at the heart of the impulse to create, I think is the same exact thing that drives the poet to create. So I don't know. Those are kind of my thoughts on it. For some reason, though, it, it does inspire fear, and I think it's just because somebody hasn't – they haven't given the same foundational impulse to the conceptual than to, say, the romantic or something.
1: Yeah, you know, you know, um, neither is lacking human agency. You show me anything that that in the world that lacks human agency, show me anything that lacks human emotion, I I'd be interested in seeing it. Uh um, <laughs> I you think know, that's right. Yeah, I think that's or, the they get though, right? Show I mean, me something show me show me any language that's lacking emotion or or, or lacking meaning. I don't see it. I mean, there are different registers, but you know, we I think we want a, a different types of registers, but there's er, er, you know, every you know, if, if anything, if anything, uh, Blake or, 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 Whitman or, or Ginsburg, you know, taught us is that everything has agency, uh, and everything has cosmic, uh, cosmic significance. There's nothing on the planet that's devoid of that. You know, often I feel poets are just really trying too hard in a way, you know, if we just back off and let things be, we'll actually find that things express uh, express themselves quite nicely, and we ex- and and we through identifying those um, those expressions express ourselves just through the identification of those. So I mean that's actually actually you know you know even even robot uh, poetics or, or computers are beautiful expressions of, of of humanity. I have no 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 problem with any of that.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's harder for some to see than others. I guess.
1: Well, I think you know. Listen, good work. Good work will. Will make that apparent, you know. I mean, I think there's a lot of bad conceptual work being written now, Um, like there is a lot of bad lyric poetry, and and, you know, uh, you know what, what, uh, yeah. So that's that's my feeling.
0: Yeah, but you and you did say that the poetic discourse is pretty healthy, so. Hey, maybe this isn't such a bad conversation for people to keep on having for a while. I don't know. But I guess you were talking more about people just blatantly attacking you.
1: <laughs> I'm used to it. You know, I'm used to it. I, well, it's, it's fun. I feel like it's, you know, it's like 1913 again. <laughs> you know, people are actually sl- still getting angry at art. I can't believe it. Well, I
0: guess, I guess you're doing something right then. Oh, that's hilarious. Hey, you, to, uh, you have uh, two sons, right? I do. And how old are they? Uh, uh, 15
1: and 8
0: what do they think of what dad does for a living?
1: Oh, they're not interested, thank you. They're totally. <laughs> is that right? Sure, sure. They are they so they like basketball, hamburgers and rap music.
0: <laughs>
1: very nice. And uh so you don't see them moving into the arts as they get older. I w- I would hope they wouldn't. Why would one Why you know, why why would one choose to do this? Choosing to be a poet is like choosing to have cancer. Who wants <laughs> cancer? I do. You know, I mean, you know, one has to do what they have to do, but it's not a, it's not a. I don't think it's a great choice.
0: No, I guess it's not really a choice. <laughs>
1: no. So let's. I want to turn to uh, to your
0: new book. It seems that uh, kind of reading about it that in your afterward that you. It seemed that you were kind of surprised that you came to this project compared to your past work, and you. You bring up the – it's a lovely afterwards, and I, I'm so glad you wrote it for this book. Um, but this concept of the stuplime I was wondering if you could kind of explore that and also kind of let the listener know how did this – you know, how does this project – how did it live with you compared to the way other projects live with you?
1: Well, um, you know, for 20 years I wrote – really boring books. And then after 20 years, I'd sort of explored what it meant to be boring. There was nothing else I could do. I could go on, I could retype the entire internet, but I'd sort of done that already. Um, and so I decided uh, to use my identical methodology on very hot material. In yeah. other words, you know, I'm doing nothing different than I did before. Uh, I just decided to Turn my focus my lens on things that were very emotional, and so now i 'm writing emotional work and 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 hot work, whereas before it was rather cool and rather dull
0: uh, well yeah. and, and this concept of this this idea of that it's stupid and yet stupidity can transcend
1: itself in to the sublime well we see that we see that you know. You know meme culture uh, online culture, reddit culture is full of that you know i mean it, the 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 the, emo- the amount of emotion the impact of 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 say meme culture is is stupid and sublime. the scale is sublime the kind of uh, uh, channeling of energy is sublime the yeah. the common understanding which is you know the common kind of core understanding of cultural. Uh, tropes is sublime, you know, the global impact of it is sublime, and yet it's all built upon, you know, something very ephemeral and and very cliche. Right. Um, so suddenly the, the cliche, be, you know, becomes so uh, overwhelmingly big that it flips over into transcendence. And this is the type of material that I wanted to work with uh, in this book, uh, was extreme cliches that still have the uh, power to move us even though they are cliches.
0: So are you saying the events, what about the events that you covered? That falls into the rubric of cliché?
1: Well, I think they're all cliché, sure. What, what's more cliché, you know?
0: Than these big Than big these events.
1: Big, big events, sure. I mean, my God, who, who wants to even think about them again? But if we start to really look at the language that's used there and the way in which they're described, we'll actually find that they're very moving and they're, and they're actually really fresh once again uh, if we do a close identification of, you know, what were people saying when they were trying to describe that, which they never thought they'd have to describe. I what words do we use to describe those things? Kind I those know
0: things. that was—it's really incredible. How long did it take you to kind of uh, finally get this book from its inception to being published?
1: Uh, well, it wasn't—it wasn't that long. Um, you know, these are air checks of these things that are all over the internet. Yeah, I just started listening to radio, old radio broadcasts of these things and and transcribing them, and then you know, really going back in and taking the best parts. You know. Um, finding the best radio broadcast—I mean, of any given event, there are millions of broadcasts. Which one is the best one, and which parts of those are, are worth keeping? You know, yeah. I, I edited, I cleaned up, mm-hmm. you know, I, I sequenced. I mean, sort of a lot of a lot of work. You know, went into making these things a little bit better than they are, because just sort of raw transcript isn't that interesting. Uh, right. raw, raw stuff from the internet, you know, the signal-to-noise ratio is always too high. Uh-huh. One of the fallacies about conceptual writing is that we've got to accept the language as it is, and we can't touch it, you know, we're just data scraping, and I I don't find that to be, I find that to be problematic. Right, well, yeah, you like mixing
0: your labor into the material of the language.
1: Well, it's... I just think it makes it, it, makes it better. It, it adjusts the signal-to-noise ratio, so you do have to keep noise in there. But you want you know you want to do bring up the signal. I think most raw transcript is just is just noise and not much signal.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. Um, let us. Uh, I wanted to read some passages from it if you don't mind, and we kind of uh, talked about this. You have the book in front of you. I do. All right. So so the first reading, we're going to take turns reading some from because. Having these words just kind of fill my own physical vestibule that is my mouth, and it's really, really incredible. So, um, so I had you uh, look at page thirty-four, uh, beginning with sheriff's officers.
1: Okay, so this is from JFK. Yes. And the passage you want me to read says, "Sheriff's officers took a young man into custody at the scene." They are questioning him behind closed doors, but the word from Parkland is that a Roman Catholic priest has administered the last sacraments of the church to the president. The sacrament was administered shortly before one o'clock. However, we have received no further word on the severity of the president's condition. There are reports circulating by other news media in Dallas that the president has been killed but we have yet to receive our official source word on this from Parkland Hospital or any of the other officials involved in this operation. A prime suspect in the assassination attempt is in custody. He is being questioned.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. That was great. So any particular, uh, tell me about the choice of JFK. Uh, What did it mean to you?
1: Well, JFK is the beginning of modern media spectacle. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, uh you know and and the book is is comes after a warhol title uh warhol's deaths and disastrous paintings and um you know really is the moment in which media becomes more powerful than the actual event itself. So, uh, you know, we have we have the 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 a uh, sort of simulacra. We have the president and the first lady as actors. The whole thing is as actually rather staged staged for the camera. The deaths, the mourning, everything becomes uh, hyper real. Right. Um, and so I, I, you know, say a couple of years earlier when Marilyn Monroe had died, there was none of that. There was sort of sincere reportage and a lot of cover up. This is actually the cameras are on, the cameras are rolling and the whole thing becomes a play.
0: <laughs> and do you think the and the people just fall right into those roles as best they can, like the people reporting it?
1: Well, of course they do, but I mean, more so Jackie Kennedy, you know, as a mourner, is playing the role of a mourner. She's right. studied, she knows that she's in front of the media cameras, and she's both mourning and she's also playing the role of being a mourner. And I think Warhol was picking up on this very much so yeah. in his portrait of Jackie Kennedy. Uh, so the whole thing becomes a game of mirrors. It becomes a very complex play of reality and uh, simulacra
0: yeah do we make value judgments on the reality of that or are we just kind of noticing that phenomena uh,
1: it, you know what, what we think about it doesn't really matter uh, it's it's very much in play and and sets the media discourse uh, for the or you know into, into the future right we're never thinking like
0: I wish this wasn't so like I wish it was different.
1: Uh well you know, we we can do that, but it really doesn't it really <laughs> wouldn't make a difference.
0: So. <laughs> so did you in this book do you have uh your own private uh favorite anecdote that you whether you the experience of transcribing it and editing it was particularly unique compared to the other ones or is there any
1: well no they're all really they're they're they're, what they're marvelously different every single one has a different feeling to it the rfk is a guy that's reporting on the scene he's got guns pointed at him it's just absolute beautiful chaos yeah you know uh the john lennon uh is is a radio air check from the night that he died just some guy was uh spinning the dial and had a tape recorder uh rolling uh that night, the night of Lennon's death and, and they're just little chunks of different radio stations. Uh Columbine is a nine one one call, you know. Yeah. So they're all they're all really different. Each one is I love how distinct each one is from yeah. the other.
0: Yeah. There's like a there are like I guess like guns involved in a few of them. Um, but then the space shuttle, even the like physical location of the space shuttle one is really fascinating uh it doesn't even happen on the ground really
1: well, nothing uh, happens you know it's a, it's it it's it's all uh ambient and quiet it's just stuff. You know, bits of debris falling out of the sky <laughs> on a floor of the morning, as they as they say, and then and it goes on for a couple of hours, and nobody can really figure out what's going on. I know and it's just a lot of dead air time, which is just perfect for for space.
0: It really, it really is. And I was actually standing because I could watch the the shuttle launches from my street, and I remember staying home from school that day, and I was in the backyard, and I saw. The Challenger blow up in the sky, and I had, of course, no idea what was happening. Um,
1: well, you know, you and and also every school kid was watching Krista McAuliffe go up uh, precisely. They, uh, you know, so every every child in America was was traumatized that day by watching the the favorite teacher uh, get blown to bits. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was a it was a, a very very bizarre and very strange thing. It was. Uh, <laughs> it really was,
0: um, and yeah, but there's a. Well, we'll get to that chapter in a second. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, I guess I am on. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, actually, out of the the Space Shuttle Challenger section. Um, how many times have you read this aloud to an audience?
1: Have I, have I read what aloud? Uh,
0: just any section of the book.
1: Uh, ma- many, many, many times. Like many uh, times, okay. You know, if, when I read it in America, people cry. Uh, yeah. When I read it in Europe, nobody seems to care. <laughs> that sounds awful <laughs> but well I mean it really it's in a very Ameri- American thing yeah. yeah it's a very American book
0: isn't it alright so here is from uh, the Space Shuttle Challenger there was of course a crowd of spectators in the stands hundreds of them hoping to celebrate Kristen McAuliffe's triumph de- today yes it was uh, pretty grim I looked over that way as soon as i could tear my eyes away from that terrible tragedy in the sky and people were just just leaving you know what else could they do they were getting out of the grandstands and walking away some of them seemed to be shaking their heads in disbelief but there didn't seem to be any hysteria no running it was just like they could not believe what their eyes had just recorded in their minds. I really—it's funny because that does strike me as extremely poetic. That it is, it and, is, and that but the space shuttle is interesting that like you said. Like it occurs, it occurs that the proximity between the audience and the spectator and the actual spectacle is so great that. They, there's no I love that line in here, I didn't mean to cut you off either. But there is no hysteria, no running.
1: I love that. Well there's, this is what exactly what you know, precisely what I'm talking about, poetry trying too hard. I mean that thing packs a wallop, an emotional wallop, a humanist wallop, an expressive wallop, and I didn't write a word of it. You see, and and you know, this is the fallacy against the, the uh, you know, that, that punches holes in the arguments against conceptualism is that it's not emotional or that it's not personal or that it has no, you know, it's, it's cold and mechanical. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is, this is, you know, I could, I really couldn't, nobody could write stuff that that's, <laughs> that that's good. So one needs to simply identify stuff that that's good.
0: I mean, I guess that's the premise is that you're saying Kenneth Goldsmith could never have achieved that paragraph and that people should be okay that you're not the locus
1: or originator of that sentiment. It's the sentiment exists, you know, it's, and you know, I mean, you know there's reasons why cage or duchamp or warhol you know you know kind of reframe things and we were very moved by those things right. you know, we're 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 not we're not against being moved by things uh, but we're we're against taking credit for you know being the sole original source of that emotion
0: yeah I, i'm wondering though if people you know people want to attach kind of Maybe use the artist or the writer as sort of a prop and a fantasy narrative in which they want to, by you divorcing yourself from the originality of the text, you're, you're, you're displacing the opportunity for the reader to connect the work to you in a way that will allow them to fulfill a certain fantasy of you as the writer.
1: You know. Well, that's, that's, you know, that, that, that was debunked 50 years ago by, by Barth. Right. You know, I mean, really, you know, can, can we move past that argument or change it a little later already? I mean, I, I, honestly, this is, this has been settled years ago. It's, you know, it's a legitimate mode where we do not need to depend upon romantic biographical details in order to appreciate the, the skill of the author. But uh, do you think there's something within people? that so that's a natural impulse i don't i don't really know what what the word natural means like i, I right. question that word okay what well, tell me show tell me something that isn't natural all right you know <laughs> what, in the world, what you know the, every everything's natural everything's a natural impulse the impulse to distance the impulse to falsify are, are as natural as the impulse to 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 be original i, I just I, you know it, it it all seems natural to me
0: right and i guess that's the the ultimate charge against any of your critics is that you're asking them to expand their understanding of what's natural.
1: Just, or, or just you know just to accept different modes other than 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 what you than, than than the one that we that we always fall back on. You know, let's 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 try to be you know have have many modes, not just one. Yeah, yeah I wonder. I'm talking
0: to another poet on this podcast, so we're like kind of wondering if people are just. St- like if the table is large enough for everyone, why are we letting everyone have a seat at it?
1: You know. Yeah, yeah. I do. You know. I mean, I I don't quite understand it. You know. I don't, <laughs> what is the you know,
0: three Kenneth? What is it?
1: <laughs> so hey, let's move on. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't have it. They You're, have it. You, you know, are. So, you know. They. That's they true. they have it it's not really not my problem i'm I'm you know i uh, like I said, I love Blake, I love Ginsburg, you know, I love O'Hara I mean you know i love I love many I love things the type of things I'm re- right now I've got right next to my my table right here, so we're talking i've got the collected writings of Joe Brainerd love these poems, right you know it's not what I do, but damn I damn, I love them
0: I know maybe if you just let people know that, you read poetry on the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So hey, uh so we're going to move on to uh Columbine um on 124. I found this to be the most out of all of them for me personally it was the most intense because of the nature of the correspondence between the caller and the 911 operator.
1: Yeah, well, you know what's going to happen to her, and it's re- and and it's it's raw and it's unmediated. It's a different, again, it's a different um, mode than the other ones. This is not media. This is this is a real nine one one call, and it's yes. it's, har- it's harrowing stuff.
0: Yeah, and it was declassified, so it does kind of present itself as a different kind of thing in in the landscape of this book, I guess, isn't it, sort of.
1: Uh, yeah, well, they're all quite different, you know. They're all different. And, and again, these are played on media. It becomes media. We think it's uh, some kind of thing that's, uh, uh, you know, outside of media. It's more real. But, in fact, it's not more real. It's been reframed as media. It's been reframed as documentation. And it's just more fodder for the media canon.
0: Yeah. But, I mean,
1: this was this – you got this straight from the file, is that right? Or from no, a media – I just got it from the same place I get all the other ones you know they've got big air checks from from media files that are that you know for are, for for disasters on the web, huge sites full of these things,
0: yeah, all right. Are you ready to read this? It's from and the kids on one twenty four okay
1: and the kids well, I said that's not you know a, a play gun, a real gun. I was going out there to say no, and I went. Another shot, very loud. Oh my god, that was really close. That just rattled me. Okay. One of the shooters. Yeah! Another shot, whispering. Oh god, I'm really frightened. More shots, extremely close. I think he's in the library. What's your name, ma'am? My name is Patty. Patty? He's yelling, everybody, get up. Get up now. More shots. He's in the library. He's shooting at everybody. Okay, I have him in the library shooting at students. And uh, the lady in the library, I have on the phone, okay, try to keep as many people down as you can. Oh,
0: my God. Thanks, Kenneth. That was amazing. So I guess uh, you got to always kind of answer to people saying, how can you do this? These are real people, and they're really getting hurt, and you're objectifying them in the pages of this book. How do you answer that?
1: Well, you know, we all know what happened, and it's just on the public record, you know? Yeah. Uh, So what it what it permits us to do is to actually uh, take a transcription and read it and reframe it as poetry. Uh, We can see we we, we have a different emotional relationship to it rather than documentation, mere pathos. You know, we actually see the struggle for language, uh, you know. Uh, and, and the, the epigraph of the book is the Wittgenstein quote, the, uh, limits of my language are the limits of my world. And I think this is a very beautiful articulation of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess i I'm, I imagine some people, I guess some people might, I don't see how it could be exploitation, but you know what I mean? That the fact that, that we're, we're removing the fact that these like are real people dying or something
1: you know what i mean like i know but the media does it all the time I and mean, that was colbert's criticism of of the book which was very good and very profound uh, but in the end you know i'm doing nothing different than really he or the rest of the media does right i, I just think, it t- taking it and putting it into poetry it's spectacle this is all spectacle you know right. and and uh uh you know art is spectacle um uh, and and this is more spectacle so so it's it's again it's it's writing that Line between cliche true horror and 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 spectacle and objectification
0: right and and if people are having emotional reactions to the book and not necessarily the actual event as it's happening that in a way you're holding them accountable in some way or they are you're revealing their own Attraction to this kind of spectacle
1: well, of course you know and that 's what that's what again it's it's a complicated project that i 'm doing because i mean that's i 'm taking it from media and throwing media tactics back into poetry um you know it's I like these problems, I like these complications, I want these complications
0: precisely let me uh let me move on now, so we moved on to nine eleven and I thought uh this was fascinating, your story. And if you want to tell it real quick of uh, your experience standing on Bleecker during 9-11, do you want to tell the story about the car that went by? Uh,
1: uh, Well, uh, when the towers crashed, uh, I stood on the corner of Bleecker and 6th Avenue watching the towers fall, and there was a car that was parked. Hundreds of people on the corner watching this thing. We had a great view. And uh, a car was parked and the doors were open and a stereo was blasting out a news radio station that was describing what we were seeing as it was happening. So the whole thing really felt like a, you know, it was staged. It was it was it was planned. And here was a narration of it. Uh, And the, uh, uh, you know, so we weren't actually I was actually allowed to have a, quote, authentic experience with the most tragic thing that's ever happened uh in new york i was actually mediated and narrated like everything else by media which i think is you know sort of appropriate um <laughs> but the voice of and that experience haunted me for a very long time so i always wanted to track down um those voices and and actually see what they were saying and how they were describing my emotion to me yeah uh, so that's how the 9-11 came about
0: it's interesting because i think uh i think your temperament and your disposition and your and your particular training is that it's like almost having a hard time not seeing things as a performance you know what i mean like is that i'm i'm wondering if that's how does one see things is it only a performance because it's mediated by the media or that sure
1: sure i mean like you know you know having a catch with my son in the park is actually is actually not mediated by media. Uh, right. Though, you know, though in some ways it is. You, you know, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm I'm out, I'm out there uh, this morning having a catch, and I'm turning one way, and and I'm throwing the ball in the air, and I'm seeing the Empire State Building, and 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 the the ball being thrown in the air is is, is up against the backdrop yeah. of the Empire State Building. I'm turning the other way when we have a catch going the other direction, it's framed by the Flatiron Building, it happens to be Madison Square Park where I live. Yeah, you know, so in other words, new, everything in New York. is is cinematic. Nothing yeah. here really. Nothing here really feels that authentic. So even my son's catch is kind of <laughs> framed by cinematic tropes.
0: That is awesome. So, <laughs> so you know,
1: it's, it's, it, I mean, New York is of course the most filmed city in the world. Everything becomes becomes part of a media fiction here.
0: Yeah, and I think that's. Uh, I think that's in many ways the basic landscape we all walk through now. Um, and then whether we see these things as performance, does that denude our possibilities for genuine connections with one another, and I guess the answer is no. Of course we can connect in these performances. I, I,
1: I question the word genuine. I'm okay. not sure what's genuine. Show me something that's not genuine. You know, these this is, this is. I think we're actually getting to the problem with a lot of the resistance to this work. I keep keep, keep talking about authenticity and, and genuine. I, you know, what's not genuine? Right, you
0: see and, this kind of completely, it's, it, it's so completely porous that, it's pointless to say, it's it's pointless to make that demarcation between disingenuous and genuine because it's all happening.
1: Well, I just think we have to, you know, we, you know, we, we naturally fall into these terms without having considering, considered, you know, their implications, you know, in a, in a broader sense. This is, you know, this is the kind of (laughs) questioning I want my work to bring up.
0: But you say we naturally fall into these, these kind of, you know limits. So maybe the limits themselves are also born out of a natural kind of arena. So absolutely,
1: absolutely. I, I I just did it myself by saying natural, <laughs> but it, it is, is natural. See, it's, it's natural. No, it is natural. I'm not matter. sure. I'm not. I'm not sure what's not natural. But I'm questioning what's genuine. Okay. So natural. Everything seems natural, but not everything seems to have the same register of being genuine. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So let's anyway. Let's let's let's. let's <laughs>
0: All right, so I'm on page uh, 154. I'm going to read the last paragraph to the 9-11, and uh, it's very interesting. And just below me is a park right near the edge of Chinatown. And while there's some curiosity among these people, they continue to play their card games. They continue to chat as if nothing is going on. Their markets are open. They're shopping there. They're, they're buying their fish. Uh, it's, it's as if this little corner of New York City was totally unaffected. But you know, it's at the top of their minds. They're talking about it. They're pointing up in the air periodically and they're continuing their card games. So it's, uh, just a little snapshot of a piece of New York as they deal with this immense tragedy. That was really, that was really beautiful too. Uh, they're t- when you when you uh, when you have they're pointing up in the air periodically, and they're continuing their card games. That kind of it's kind of guiding the reader's eye in a way to the sky, back to this very detailed thing called a card game. But the but the guy who is who is who is speaking this was this uh, I forget the.
1: Just some report. It's just some reporter, you some, know, on a, a little, a, you know, color reporter guy in the field. Uh Well, you know, what strikes me is that passage is is, is the sense of otherness. Like yes. they, uh, they I, don't, they don't feel this the way we feel. You know, right. once in a while they're breaking away from what they're doing. They're pointing up in the sky, but you know, they're going back to their card games. They're buying their fish. I love like you know, that. The the well, it's you know, it's a it's a xenophobic. It's, totally. It's, they're, they're, the other is you know this suspicion cast on these people who aren't feeling it as much as we want them to feel it the way that we feel it, you know? Uh, and so already in the reportage, even the color reporting, a little, little snapshot of New York city is full of prejudice and xenophobia and, and, and fear of the other. Yeah. Um, and this, this influences, you know, this is supposedly objective reporting. There's nothing objective about it.
0: I know you can almost see like this was like it, that kind of otherness was Like almost immediately established. (laughs) It was incredible just by this reporter who's on the ground there. I'll never forget uh, hearing, oh man, I was in uh, Amherst at the time of 9 11 and there was, I was listening to some like obscure zero market uh, sports radio talk show host and this guy was spewing some of the most horrific analysis I could have ever imagined. And I think that your book is fascinating when you put people like almost outside their, uh, like they're not content experts on what the event is unfolding, you know?
1: Uh, yeah, well they're good. they're they're like guys in a bar, but there is a po- a portion there where I have pe- like Curtis Sliwa, uh talking about this, and and you know there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of a lot of racism, and you know it's already there, you know it's already, they're already historicizing the day, uh, a lot of the. Uh, uh lines in the in that uh, section already on that day is branded america under attack wartime coverage continues from wabc <laughs> news new york city this is wabc um, you know already on that morning they're calling it war coverage continues and slogans america under attack
0: oh stop that's so horrible <laughs> i know it's amazing how language just start the, the media language just starts boxing us into this perspective of events. It's horrible. Um, or it just is what it is, I guess. Um, so, moving on to, to Michael Jackson, which I is very fascinating. Um, what a strange character. Um, but if we turn to page 165, and I noticed that your readings of this work, um, one, they're so much better than mine, and uh, but two, you've really, you've almost it, I won't dare say emotionally connected. I'm just kidding. It seems like you really have connected with with the language on the level of someone who is who wants to embody that language and perform it. Uh, it's really, really nicely done.
1: Well, you know, I mean, you know, if you retype something, uh, it becomes part of your, part of you. becomes yeah. part of, part, you own it. You know, the the act of, of, of reproduction. And Walter Benjamin uh, uh, said that reading a text is like flying over a landscape and rewriting a text is like walking on the road on that landscape. Mm-hmm. One has a very different, much more intimate relationship when we, when we, copy out something rather than when we read it
0: very good very interesting on so on 165 i'm gonna have you uh if you could read just that first paragraph it'd be fantastic
1: Well, let's, you know, I mean, Michael's life, it's been a struggle, I think, in recent years, you know. I mean, he's been attempting these comebacks. They never really gain any traction. And, I mean, obviously, uh you know, he's getting set to do the shows in London, you know, a run of 50 shows, you know. Clearly, that's not going to happen. You know, we don't really yet have enough information on, you know... What exactly, you know, created the situation, but you know, you know, there's been a kind of tragic aspect to what, you know, Michael Jackson's life has been, you know, without any question. Oh, thanks. That was, that was beautiful. The, the repetition of you knows, oh my God. But these are things that we've, you know, the, the normative speech is more disjunctive than modernist poetry. Mm hmm. Uh, and yet we don't seem to pay much attention to that. We, again, you know, once we read it and once we frame it as poetry, we see the beautiful rhythms of ordinary speech and the stutters and stumbles. Again, you know, uh, the, the, the the language of, uh, of, of Polish mothers, uh, you know, kind of fails. Mo- 20th century poetry tried very hard to really uh, incorporate real speech into it. And when we look at what passed for real speech, uh, it, it, it really pales compared to the speech that's around us every day.
0: I totally see what you're saying, the the you-knows, the you-knows, and just the implication.
1: Don't, don't tell me that Frank O'Hara's uh, real <laughs> speech. I mean, I love O'Hara, but that's not real speech. Oh. Real speech is ugly and, and disjunctive. O'Hara's gorgeous and beautiful, beautiful surfaces on O'Hara. It's closer to real speech than what we'd seen before in poetry, but it's still very far from the ugliness of real speech and the difficulty of real speech even david Atten, you know his his talk poems are not real talk they're cleaned up right
0: so when you say real speech do you sort of mean genuine speech <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm talking about i'm talking about what we just heard yes unedited and this is a guy on the media a very smart guy anthony de, de curtis who's on the media and he still can't quite find the right words to say
0: no and i think that's exactly a perfect place to end our interview. Kenneth, thank you so, so much for joining me. Okay, John. Been a pleasure to talk. Likewise.